From the American Songwriter Podcast Network, this is Songwriter. My name is Ben Arthur. Today, we have a brand new song from Cave Twins, but first, a children's story that inspires the song by Soman Chinani, author of the best-selling School for Good and Evil series. Storytelling has been kind of a big uh, part of my life in the last 10 years, and that's how I think of myself. I think of myself as a storyteller. I decided to write a story called Rabbit Bear Rex about a bear who lives in a village and all he wants is to not be disturbed. I got frustrated by a lot of the stories I read growing up because I felt like good always won in the end and there wasn't a true tension. I felt like the moral always favored, you know, kind of the obvious character and I thought in this case, to me, the bear was the more sympathetic character. I feel like the bear sometimes. I think I always tend to take the the villain or the antagonist point of view and try to understand where they come from. You know, my job as a writer in general is to make, especially younger readers, think about, you know, what does good mean? What does evil mean? What does a hero mean? What does a villain mean? What is the difference between, you know, the aims of both these characters if both of them think they're doing right in the world? So this matrix of what is right and wrong, I try to upend as much as possible. It was an amazing opportunity to get to read this story out loud to a live audience of children, especially at a place as beautiful as the Sugar Hill Children's Museum, um, which is just such a fantastic space. And it was uh, a great audience of, of kids ranging from like three years old to like, you know, 16 years old. The, the joy of the experience was to get to hear the cave twins, very intelligent, very, you know, um, kind of deft and skillful. Uh, response to the story. They sort of really captured that dynamic of a bear who just wanted to be left alone and a bear who would have loved the moment we're in now where we're all, we're all quarantined and locked inside and able to kind of live this meditative existence and that uh, is his dream. This is Soman Chinani reading his story, Rabbit Bear Rex, live at the Sugar Hill Children's Museum in Harlem. Rabbit Bear Rex lived in a cave on a mountain overlooking a village called Maida Laval. Rabbit Bear Rex led a simple life. He woke up at half past six each morning and ate a ball of homemade cheese that came from the mountain goat he kept chained near the cave. Sometimes a squirrel ran in his path, and he ate that too. Then he'd do his stretches and jog around the mountain to build a good sweat, once he, would tire, he was tired, he'd lie down by the mountain stream, stare up at the sky, and watch the clouds go by. When the sun set, he ate more cheese, and then he went to bed. Rabbit Bear Rex's days were peaceful, soothing, and happy, as long as no one bothered him. He really, really, really did not like to be bothered. Remember that. The people of Maida Laval had heard rumors about Rabbit Bear Rex, that he'd been exiled from his clan of bears, that he'd killed a sweet princess before coming to their village, that he wasn't a bear at all, but a human wearing a bear skin. They didn't know any of this for sure. What they knew is that they should not bother, bother Rabbit Bear Rex. They knew not to hike up the mountain or pick lilies in its field or saunter anywhere near its caves. They knew that even though they were in the valley, they shouldn't sing too loudly or shoot off fireworks or play with slingshots in case anything bothered him. They knew this because every 10 years, the villagers forgot this lesson, and a child would shoot his slingshot, or a maiden would sing too loudly, or there'd be a fireworks holiday, and Rabbit Bear Rex would come down 
and eat someone. The village would learn its lesson and be wary once more. But this was a small price to play for living in such a beautiful valley with a warm climate and fertile soil and the ripest tomatoes this side of Rainbow Gale. But then one day, two people fell in love, Rima and Raphael. They were only 16, with Rima as small as a pea plant and Raphael bigger than a cornstalk. But from the moment they met, bumping, bumping heads that they helped a baker retrieve his fallen strawberry cake, Rima and Raphael knew they'd be together forever. It wasn't long before Raphael asked Rima to marry him, and word spread through the village that he'd given her a ring made out of strawberry sugar because he was too poor to afford anything else. Rima was even poorer, but she wouldn't train her, her ring of strawberry sugar for anything. Neither Raphael nor Rima could afford a wedding, but the villagers of Maida Laval were so touched by their love, they came together to give them one. The wedding was the biggest party the village had ever seen, complete with a polka band and a children's choir and hundreds of floating lanterns that lit up the side of the mountain. But any of the usual worries of what lay up that mountain were wiped away by the happy occasion. That's the thing about love, as anyone good-natured will tell you. Fear stands no chance against it. The wedding, though, was very loud. Very, very loud. So loud that the sound echoed up the mountain like a bounding rabbit getting closer and closer to Rabbit Bear Rex's cave until it resounded in his ear, waking him up as he curled to go to sleep. Loping out of his cave, Rabbit Bear Rex glared at the dancing villagers, the lanterns flitting past his mountain, the teenagers kissing and smearing each other's noses with cake. All this happiness and joy made him miserable. He wanted to go down the mountain. He wanted to eat them all up. But he was also getting old, and he was tired, and he didn't want to walk all that way. So he drew a breath until it filled his whole chest, the air rushing against his heart, and he blasted a roar so violent it shook the entire village below. The warning was clear. Next time, he would not be so nice. The villagers listened. The music stopped. The lanterns went dark. People went home. Peace and quiet resumed. Tomatoes grew in silence. Rabbit Bear Rex watched the clouds, seeing shapes go by in white, thick mist, all of which calmed his beastly royal. Then one day, Rima and Raphael, the two people who just got married, had a child, a rosy little girl named Penelope. As soon as Penelope came out of her mother's stomach, she unleashed a joyous scream before her mother could stop her. The echo streaked up the mountain like a, like a bird and thundered in Rabbit Bear Rex's ear just as he was milking his goat to make more cheese. He scowled. He wished he could go down the mountain and eat up whoever just bothered him, but he was tired. So he let out another roar of warning. Next time, he definitely wouldn't be so nice. Ten years later, the woods suffered from a terrible drought. Without rain, the soil dried up. All the tomatoes shriveled, and family started to starve. But not Penelope's family. Family. Rima and Raphael marveled that their tomato garden had stayed so healthy while everyone else's had died. They were even more grateful that their young daughter continued to be so healthy and happy, as if there was no draught at all. Deep inside, they knew it was Penelope who had brought them such good fortune. Their child was a miracle. And indeed, Penelope has grown up to be just as sweet and kind and loving as her parents. But more than any of these things, Penelope was smart. And her parents were right. Penelope was responsible for her thriving garden and tomatoes, because Penelope was cheating. She was secretly watering it. Penelope knew that a mountain stream lay near Rabbit Bear Rex's cave that still ran with fresh water. How did she know this? Because at night, she could see the bear's shadow on the mountain slinking out of his cave. If he's still alive, Penelope thought, the bear must have water. 
So while everyone else was sleeping, Penelope snuck up the mountain and found his stream. Quietly filling up her bucket, she tiptoed back down the mountain, and she would take the water to her parents' garden and water her tomatoes. Night after night, Penelope returned to steal water from the bear until one night, just as she approached the banks, she saw a large shadow crouching over it. Who was that shadow? Rabbit Bear Rex. Penelope startled and dropped her bucket. Slowly, Rabbit Bear Rex turned and looked at her. For a moment, Penelope was sure the bear would eat her. But then she saw the sadness glistening in Rabbit Bear Rex's eyes. Over his shoulder, she spotted a dead old mountain goat clasped in the bear's paws. The bear had strung a flower wreath around the goat's neck. Rabbit Bear sank the goat into the stream and let it float away. He was crying. I have no more cheese, he said. And our village has no more water, said Penelope. If you let us have the, the water from your stream every day in our village, I'll bring you cheese in return. Rabbit Bear Rex sat down on a rock to consider Penelope's offer. And you would be the only one to come up to this mountain and get water, he asked. Yes, she said. And if you bother me, I can kill you, he said. Yes, she said. Both sides honored their promises. Penelope brought water from the stream to the village, rescuing them from the drought. And in return, she brought rabbit bear met Rex fresh cheese from the market. This is where the story should end. This is where a normal story would end. This is where you're used to stories ending. With little beauty taming the beast. Because that's what your storybooks teach you. But beasts are beasts for a reason, which is why this story must go on. No matter how much he loved the cheese, Rabbit Bear Rex still hated the footsteps of that little girl traipsing by his cave every night. He hated the song she softly hummed while she filled her buckets of water. She hated her he, he hated her bouncy curls and presumptuous smile. The girl went out of her way not to bother him, but truth be told, she bothered him very, very much. Day after day, he tried to find solace in the clouds, to look up at the clouds and see pretty shapes, but all he could see in the mist was the little girl's devilish little smile again and again and again. One day, Penelope came up, with the, came up the mountain, and as she went to the stream with her bucket, she heard a soft little roar behind her. It was a sound she'd never heard before. She turned to see a new young mountain goat chained up beside Rabbit Bear Rex's cave. A grunt echoed behind her. The sound of springing paws, fur brushed across her neck. Penelope dropped her bucket. A few days later, Rabbit Bear Rex lay on his back near the stream, licking the goat cheese off his lips and gazing up at the clouds. Today he saw feathers and whales and snowmen and dragons, all the things he loved most. For a moment, he was sad about that little girl, but it passed quickly. He didn't want to be bothered. And try as he might to change or make a new friend or be nice to pretty girls, it wasn't in his nature. Because everything bothered Robert Bear Rex. He'd warned the village. He'd warned the girl too. But there's always some good doer who, a good doer who doesn't listen to warnings. Even those from a rabid bear. The end. <laughs> That was Soman Chanani with his story, Rabbit Bear Rex. And now, for the song, Written in Response. I'm David Mayfield. I'm Abby Rose. We're best friends, for now. We're in a band called Cave Twins. I, I, I often think of Cave Twins as like a, a stack of children under one trench coat. Yeah. Trying to pass off as an adult. As, as, as an adult. It's like, sometimes they think we're adults, like they interview us on podcasts, like we're grown-ups. <laughs> 
We really started writing these songs just uh, a couple years ago as like the world seemed to be shifting and and uh, and just kind of there was a lot of anger and a lot of darkness and it just felt like let's revert to to childhood and just play these fun cute little songs just kind of escape all that for a little bit I was shocked that it was a child story because I haven't heard many children's stories that had an ending quite like his it's it's reminiscent of the of the darkness in you know grim grim's fairy tales we hadn't written any songs where children get eaten yet the way it was written was david sent me uh, words and then i sent him back a voice memo with some melody and then we worked on it from there there's a twist in soman's story and also there's a twist in in the song it's not the same twist. It's not the but same it twist. It was inspired by his his sort of. But his twist. There's a good chance that that a little girl is eaten in our song as well, <laughs> but we kind of leave it open. We leave it open. Spoiler alert: the bear comes back down in her clothes and just takes her place in society, and no one really can tell or no one cares. I grew up in a family bluegrass band. We lived on a tour bus that was previously owned by Bill Monroe, and we traveled the country. A tough way to grow up. Uh, you know, at the time, I didn't have anything to compare it to, so it just, you know, when you're when you're living on a bus with your whole family and, and you know, you're sleeping inches away from your sisters and your parents and there's no privacy it's a unique way to grow up for sure surprisingly i'm super well adjusted and normal <laughs> now abby meanwhile grew up in a more traditional conservative household i can't imagine what i would what my music would be without having that background, you know? But I mean, I think if, you know, if you're making art at this time in America, you're gonna be affected by this divide. You know, it's like we're in, at, a, at the brink of another civil war and it's, you know, brother against brother again. Our answer song to me almost has kind of, there's hints of immigration, there's this thing that no one understands that everyone's really afraid of and then it comes and it kind of quietly inserts itself into the community and no one cares everybody just figures out a way to to move on and it wasn't really that scary in the first place talking about going up the mountain for me like this year it would have been like me confronting co- confronting my parents and stuff about what I believe in, like, once you go up that point, you know, you can't necessarily go back from that point. Yeah, it's like once you open once up you that, poke the bear, you can't. You can't. You can't go back to a time before. Maybe I feel like I'm the one up on the hill, you know, <laughs> kind of. You're the bear. Or, or I replace the bear. I guess when I sing it, I kind of feel like maybe I went up that hill or something to confront. Everything. Well, you might, you know, you you might be <laughs> the bear. You might be the scary 
thing to to somebody else to, to you know your family or yeah. people who I probably have to bear. No. <laughs> and now a studio recording of Cave Twins with their song Mighty Mountain Monster. It was. 
was a grizzly bear with golden hair But no one could tell Or no one cared Now I've been happy for most my life The bear who wears a dress is my wife uh-huh. The little girl went to the cave on the hill uh-huh. If she ain't dead yet She's living there still uh-huh. Don't sing too loudly Valley never pick wildflowers in the fields. Hike up that mountain if you dare, cause the mighty mountain monster lives up there. That was the Cave Twins with their song, Mighty Mountain Monster, written in response to a story by Soman Chinani. The next episode will feature a story from Dodi Stewart and a song written in response by Natalia Zuckerman. I'm thrilled to say that the first live songwriter show of the season will feature the return of Roxanne Gay and songs written in response to her by Toshi Regan and Celise. This show will be presented by the Harlem School of the Arts and a portion of proceeds will go to support their programming. You can find tickets at Eventbrite. I also wanted to mention that I'll be releasing a song called You're the Only One Who Breaks My Heart, featuring performances by the Cave Twins. You can hear it at the bottom of today's show page or anywhere that streams music after the first week of July. Songwriter is now a part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, along with some other amazing podcasts. Make sure to check out americansongwriter.com forward slash podcast. And you can always get early access to the Songwriter Podcast at Paste. Just go to pastemagazine.com and search for Ben Arthur. And while you're there, check out the Paste Podcast or get it wherever you get yours. Finally, thanks to Rob Reinhardt and Acoustic Cafe, which airs segments about every episode of Songwriter on 125 radio stations in the U.S. for 2 million listeners. And can I also just say thanks so much to Apple Podcasts for featuring the show in the new and noteworthy section. It's been such a joy to watch new listeners pop up in Beijing and Santiago and Pretoria and Skovland and Zeist and Madrid. Wow. Thanks. Thanks.